We welcome you. As you know, our theme for the year is on the subject of courage. I know some of you, you thought that uh, by the time February comes, we will have run out of what to say. <laughs> There's a lot that we're going to say. And this morning, I'm actually sharing a message that I preached at one of the churches of one of our spiritual sons, Brutim Tweni, and uh, he had a conference, and I was speaking there on Friday, and I think they stole the theme from us, you know. <laughs> it, it's on courage, and the theme of the conference was giant slayer. So I prepared a, a message for that, and I thought, you know what, there's no way I can preach this over there and not bring it home. You know, I, I, was, uh, I was saying in the first service that, you know, uh, you ladies, you know, you don't do like what we do as men. You know, when men go out and eat out, oftentimes they just eat everything and never bring anything home for the children. You know what I mean? Eh? We just eat everything. Usually now I grew up seeing the ladies, when they've gone out, they never eat everything. Yeah. So I'm, I'm operating in the ladies' anointing. And how many of you remember that the mpago is even nicer than the actual, because it's not so much, it's just a little bit, but that's even nicer. So today's someone has to be nicer. I'm going to read a scripture that you are all familiar with, but there are principles I believe we'll be able to get into as we talk about a giant slayer. Courage to be a giant slayer. Tell your neighbor you're a giant slayer. Tell your other one you are sitting next to a giant slayer. If you're not one, day, I'm sitting next. First Samuel chapter 17, I read from the NIV Bible. It's a very, very long passage. I'll read, I won't read all of it, but I'll just read certain portions. Most of us know this story. I mean, uh, I know we don't teach much in school these days, but most people grew up knowing the story of uh, uh, David and Goliath. So I don't have to tell you the whole story. So I'll just read. The first Samuel 17 covers that story at length. But as we read the story, I want to highlight certain things that David did. David is our giant slayer. And we want to learn from David how to be giant slayers. Verse 1 says, The Philistines gathered their forces for war, and they assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damin between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. So we see it out here. The Philistines and the children of Israel are at war. They are fighting. Verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. We'll come to that. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, on his leg, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects. And verse 16 says, 
Saul did this for 40 days, from morning until evening. We note when Saul was doing this, the children of Israel were so afraid. They would run in fear from him. Verse 23, we pick up the story where David, who was not a soldier at all, not a warrior, had been sent by his dad to take food for his brothers who were at war. And so as David is talking to some people there at the battlefront, he overhears this champion, as the Bible says, or this, this uh, giant. Verse 23, as David was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. The Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who will kill him. He will also give, give him his doctor, his daughter in marriage, and tax exemption. You remember we must be filing uh, for our... <laughs> you may want to do some of that here. Kill Goliath. Maybe Cyrus will give you an exemption this year. Then David asked the man standing near him, what will be done to the man who kills this Philistine and remove this disgrace from Israel? See, David is convinced. We, we as God's people, we shouldn't be going through this. We shouldn't be behaving like this, if nothing else. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Underline that. That's very important. That he should defy the armies of the living God. Underline that. David is immediately declaring something. That if you just read casually, you will not understand his frame of mind. He's saying, this man, much as he may be nine feet tall, he might be an experienced warrior with all his armor, though he is standing up and he's coming out against us, but really this guy doesn't know who he is up against. He's up against people who are God's people. He's up against people on whom God is on their side. He's up against people who have a covenant with God. That's what he's saying in verse 26. Remember that. So they repeat to David. They said, look, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the man, this is in verse 28, he bent with anger at him and asked, what have, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how proud you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down here to watch the battle. See, unfortunately in life, we have to admit that there are people who do not want you to confront things that have been accepted as a status quo. Sometimes people are so glad when we're all failing. And when you try to do something different to the norm, there's always an Eliab out there. Look at them and say, please don't try to be Eliab, please. I, you know... I, I'm just teasing. David says in verse 29, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? I mean, can't I even think aloud? So David turns away to someone else and brought up the same matter. See, when you're trying to move on in life and you find that you are coming up against negativity, locate yourself among people who will encourage you in your endeavors. As long as what you are doing really is not something that is just out there and cannot be done. 
But if you know what God has said, and you know what God's word has said, and you know what the promises of God have said, don't allow negative people to hold you back in your attempt. So David turns to someone else. Verse 31. What David said was overheard and was reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now I want you to note, I'll say it later on. I want you to note how David is declaring with his mouth that which is going to happen. Much as he's referring to himself, his confidence is not in himself. Verse 33, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And this man has been fighting from his youth. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned to me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Remember, then he says, because he has defied the armies of the living God. Rem remember those two statements. He keeps repeating, these guys are circumcised, and this man is defying the armies of the living God. Now you do remember, when you go back to the book of Genesis, God gave Abram an instruction to circumcise all the male children, all right, since from that time any male child at the age of eight. Circumcision was meant to be a sign of a covenant that God had with his people. And when God spoke to Abram in, in, in Genesis 13 and Genesis 14, he makes certain declarations, even in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Simply means anybody who comes out against you, even if they're only looking at you, it's not you that they're fighting against. And this is what David is remembering. That we are a circumcised people. We are a people who have a covenant with God. So even if this guy has really come out against us, it's really not us that he's fighting. He has defied the armies of the living God, and therefore he is setting himself up to fight against God. Verse 37. David says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. What gives David the confidence to come out against Goliath is the small victories that he had in private when no one else was looking, when no one else was there. But he used the same principle. Let me tell you, God's word will work anywhere, no matter how small, no matter how big. And when you learn to apply God's word, you should learn to apply the same principle. But Saul said to David, okay, go and, 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 and the Lord with you. The Lord uh, be with you. I don't think Saul meant it. I, don't, I, I think Saul was just saying, for once. you can just go and commit suicide if you want. I, I, I want to distance myself from this decision. But then Saul comes up with something in 38. He, he dresses David in his own tunic. He puts a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. So David fastened his sword over the tunic, tries walking around, and he was not used to them. And I like this guy. Then he walks around a little bit, says, now, now, now I'm not used to this. 
I'm used to praying. <laughs> Not hope of the safety belt. <laughs> I'm used to calling on the name of the Lord. See, Barcelona, don't try to use something that you are not used to doing. Yeah. Whatever God has taught you, the same principle will work anywhere, anytime. No matter how big the giant, the same principle will work. If it worked yesterday, it will work today and it will work tomorrow. Because our God is the same yesterday, today and forevermore. Can I hear an amen in the house? Don't, don't use what you are not used to. Use whatever God has used in your life. Hallelujah. I think that's why God wants us to learn those small victories in private. He lets us practice before Goliath comes along. So that the day Goliath comes along, we have learned what to do. Can I hear an amen? Wow. So David takes off the, the clothes that Saul gave him, the armor. Verse 40, he takes his staff in his hand. Chooses five stones from the stream, smooth stones, puts them in his pouch and shepherds back with his sling in his hand and he approaches. Somebody say approach. approach. Say it again, approach. approach. Say so you've got to go to your giant. You've got to stop running from the giant. See, giants could be whatever it is in your life that instills fear in your life. Could be sickness, it could be disease, it could be vision that, that doesn't work. Could be dreams you've had that have been crushed. All kinds of things. Do what David did and be a giant slayer. So David approaches the giant. I love this. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. When he looked over and saw that David was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, he despised him. Big mistake. You're only looking at the guy. You don't realize what is behind the guy. You don't realize the God of the universe who's on the side of David. So he says to David in verse 43, Am I a dog that you should come out at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God's big mistake. You don't curse him. God says whoever curses you has cursed me. Yeah. Big mistake. He says, come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, keep saying. He says, you come out against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike down and I'll cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistines abbey to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there's a God of Israel. But that God is on your side, I'm telling you. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. And the Philistine moved closer to attack David, but David ran quickly towards the Philistine line to meet him, reaching into his back, taking out the stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank in his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. This is how you kill giants. Watch this now. David didn't try to square up with Goliath. 
pound for pound. You know, in boxing, they often say, these two fighters, you know, this one weighs so much, he has this much reach, has so many fights, they're squaring up pound for pound. That's not what David did. But David had a certain understanding on how to deal with giants, comrades. I get it, they say we will deal with him. We learn from the Old Testament and from Bible tradition that Goliath, whom in the scripture is called a champion, was a giant. Even the writings of historians like Josephus, who lived in the first century AD, confirmed that Goliath was a giant. It said that Goliath was a descendant of the Nephilim. The Nephilim, it is said, were the sons of God who had cohabited with their human wives. In Genesis 6, we read a very interesting story there of how the sons of God took the daughters of men. Many theologians agree and postulate that it seems like there were these angelic beings that took on human wives and married them. And from that union, there was an abnormal species of people who were born called the Nephilims. These Nephilims, therefore, were giants. They were, I mean, their, their size wasn't really human sizes. And it is said, therefore, that Goliath was a descendant of the Nephilims. The Nephilims used to be between six and nine feet tall. To put it in our measurements, they were over two meters tall. Can you imagine? The average Hebrew male in these days was only 1.67 meters tall. Almost my heart a little shorter than me. At least I beat them, bless the Lord. The only person at this time that we know may have matched the height of Goliath was Saul himself. Because 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 2 tells us that he was head and shoulders above everybody. But even Saul, the tall guy, ran from Goliath. Not only was Goliath more than two meters tall, he was a trained warrior from the time he was just a youth. He was a man of war. So we learn from history that he wore certain armors that I'm going to show you in a while. His legs, he wore on his legs greaves or these shin guards. So he wore that on his feet. And his helmet was made out of bronze and we are told that it weighed in our measurement 13.6 kilograms. Can you imagine having 13.6 kilograms? This is more than Pufuya millimeter. <laughs> having 13.6 kilograms on your head. His breastplate was made out of bronze and it weighed, watch this now, his, hel- his, his, his breastplate weighed 68 kilograms. Oh yeah. That's the weight of some of us here. Can you imagine wearing, it's like strapping a human being to your chest. A full human being, a grown-up human being on unlimited I 32. Can you imagine? Limpandad. Can you imagine, Mazala? Yes. He carried a sword and a spear that weighed about 13.6 kilograms. We're not talking about the other pieces of armor. We're only talking about the sword. We're talking about the breastplate, and we're talking about the helmet. Helmet 13.6, sword 13.6, breastplate 68 kilograms. Just add it up and tell me. I mean, this guy, tall guy, wearing all these things, he was like a walking, he was like a tank on two feet. 
No wonder the people ran. And you would run if you were there. But David realized, I can't match this guy pound for pound. He's going to beat me. I'm going to use laws that will take him down. I've got to engage spiritual law that will supersede what he has so that I can bring him down. That's how you bring down giants. Because you're no match for them. We are not match for sickness and disease. We are not match for poverty. We are not match for what Satan throws out at us. So in ourselves, we are not match. But my goodness, we are not doing it in ourselves. Have you ever wondered what makes aeroplanes fly? I mean, these big airplanes that weigh tons and tons of weight can be airborne. See, they use a very interesting principle there. Four laws that make this thing to be airborne. Number one, we have what we call the law of lift. How the law of lift comes is that it was discovered by Benolis and he came up with a law where he says fast moving air is at a lower pressure than slow moving air. And so as the aeroplanes is moving forward, you can see the wing of a plane is round in the front and tapers towards the black back and is flat. So what happens is as the plane moves through air and it splits the air, the air that goes on top of the wing moves faster than the air that goes below the wing. And so what happens is on the top of the wing, because of fast-moving air, there's low pressure, and below the wing, there's high pressure. Now you all know this, matriculants. You're writing exams this week, Akirena. <laughs> you all know about high concentration and low concentration. There will always be a movement, whether it's water, pressure, whatever, will, there'll always be a movement from high concentration to low concentration. So, as the air on top of the wing is low pressure air, and the air underneath the wing is high pressure air, the air underneath the wing tries to move from below to the air on top of the wing, and it creates what we call lift. So it is lift that makes the aeroplanes to shoot up into the air. But for it to be able to move through the air and move forward, it has some smaller planes, is propeller engines, or you have a jet engine. That creates another law called the law of thrust. That's what makes the plane move forward. So it is actually the thrust and the lift that makes an aeroplane become airborne. But there's other two laws that are at play. This plane has got weight and gravity. The weight consists of the material from which the plane is made, the cargo inside, the passengers inside, the fuel that's on the plane, plus gravity. That's what creates weight. And then it has another law at the back of the plane, right at the back. If you've ever sat in a bucky, a truck, and they're driving that truck forward, you almost feel like you're falling backwards. Because at the tip of whatever it is that's moving forward, there's another law that pulls you back called the law of drag. So you have the four laws. You have drag, you have weight. So according to drag, 
according to weight, this plane is not supposed to fly. But when you apply thrust and lift, this plane will fly. Watch this now. For you to fly, you have to have more thrust and more lift. So lift must be greater than all the other laws. It must be greater than weight. It must be greater than drag. And the thrust must be there to keep you airborne. Now watch this. The minute you start flying, that doesn't mean gravity is no longer. It's the same thing when you start applying spiritual law. When you start applying spiritual law and you see progress in your life, the last thing you can do is to stop applying spiritual law. Stop praying, stop reading the Bible, stop going to church. Remember, once you're airborne and you think that you've arrived and you think gravity is no longer and then you switch the engines off and gravity says, Oi. David realized, I will not be able to fight against weight and drag. I want to supersede weight and drag. I can't stand against this guy. He's too big. He's too strong. He's too experienced. But I'm going to use laws that are going to supersede what he has. That's how you bring down giants. And these are the laws that David has applied. And for as long as lift and thrusts are applied, this plane remains airborne. No matter how, I mean, these days they are making these big ones, this A380s. This is a, it's like two of these planes sitting on top of each other. I mean, one wing span is as big as a football field, just one wing span. I mean, you see these huge, big things being airborne so easy. And people I'll tell you, you are using spiritual law. Can I hear an amen? Let's go through the principles that David applied. Number one, the first thing David had was a firm foundation of the word of God that he found through a healthy devotional life in the presence of God. See, all the other children of Israel had the same, the same law. They had access to the same promises. That are in the five books of Moses. They had them recited in the temple. They would say it every time. The priest would read over the promises of God. They had it all. But in spite of them having it all, it never lost in their hearts. See, good as it is for us to come to church. But you see, just coming here for the sake of doing it, it's not going to change our lives. We've got to have a personal relationship with God's word. Through reading God's word on your own, listening to it continually, taking time to pray so that you fill your heart and you fill your life with God's word. See, when the giant appears, that is not the time to start reading your Bible. When the giant appears, you should already have God's word having lodged in your heart problem sometimes with many of us is that when the crisis comes, that's the times when we get serious with our spiritual life. Now we stop, you know, I know some people, once they come to church, I know <laughs> I used to laugh as a young pastor, you know uh, uh, well, I don't know if I, I'm able to see these days, when our church was still smaller, you know, and I, I, I used to know people, you know, I know many of you here, but I don't know everybody, but there I used to know people 
There are certain people I knew they would disappear for several months. Look at the devil say, no, he's not talking about me. He's talking about you. <laughs> you know, if there's legitimate reasons that keep us away, it's understood. But some people, no. They just don't have the discipline. You know, to nourish themselves spiritually on a consistent basis. They won't read the scriptures every day. They won't take the time to pray every day. Look at the devil say, the way you are quiet, it sounds like he's talking about somebody you know. But you see, when you look at the way David lived his life, he filled his heart with God's word. And the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. It's much better to fill your heart with the word of God when there's no crisis. And Barcelona, we have so many opportunities today. So many resources today that will help us read the Bible. I mean, you have it on the internet. If you have a smartphone, you can download certain apps. Eh? There's teaching in the church. There's CDs. There's podcasts. There isn't a single one of us who on a daily basis, we can't spend quality time in the word of God. Yeah. That's what God told Joshua. He said, Joshua, you want to be successful like Moses? This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But Joshua, what you must do is, you must meditate in this word day and night. Somebody say day and night. Say it again, day and night. Say it again, day and night. What does God mean? Is God saying I mustn't go to bed? Is God telling me not to sleep? Is he telling me to read his word all the time? No. He's just using a hyperbole to try and emphasize to you how much it's so important for us to spend quality time in God's word. Yeah. Oftentimes people don't spend quality time in God's word. So what happens? When Goliath appears, we're not going to remember what the word of God says about us. See? When Goliath comes, we run away in fear. But David, his heart was firmly planted in God's word. That is why he could readily speak in line with God's word. The second thing that he did was, not only did he speak, he had the courage to act on what the word of God said. He approached the king. He acted on what the word of God said. See, if we don't act on God's word, and act on the promises of God, even if God's word is true, we will never see the fulfillment of what the word of God says. And the reason David acted wasn't because he's a giant himself. It's because there's something about God's word, when it lodges in your heart, it will cause you to take certain steps. We read about the story of the woman with the issue of blood in the book of Mark. The Bible says when this woman heard about Jesus, she came in the press behind. It is what she heard that moved her forward. Very often people haven't heard that God wants to heal them. They haven't heard that God wants to deliver them. They haven't heard that God wants to transform and change their life. The minute you hear God's word, act on it. And David acted on what he had heard in his prayer life and his private life. Thirdly, in his acting, number three, he made a bold declaration. Look at verse 34. I love this guy. 
David says to Saul, your servant has kept his father's sheep. When the lion came, I killed it. When the bear came, I struck it down. Then he says, verse 36, your servant who killed the lion and the bear will do the same to this uncircumcised Philistine. Know this, Barcelona. When your heart is full of God's word, your mouth will simply express what your heart is full of. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth can only verbalize what the heart is full of. So if our hearts are not filled with faith, our mouth will not be able to speak faith. I remember years ago, you won't know what I'm talking about, right? I'm just, it's a true story. But I don't want you to know where it happened. Somewhere in the world. There was a, a drama that was presented on, st on a stage of a certain church. I was attending that service. And they were depicting what the pastor does, you know, in dramatic form. It was supposed to be humorous. And unfortunately, the, some of the members in this church were not fair to their pastor. Because the pastor was really dealing with the fact that he's trying to bring his weight under control. So, so the members used to scanner among themselves that this man is fat, you know, he's fat, he's fat, he's fat. You know, so, you know, and they, they were not being nice to him. So, during one of these skits and this drama, this person kept on saying, yeah, Pastor so-and-so, you are this, Pastor so-and-so, and then it slipped out, you are so fat, and they went, mm. and I'm sitting there thinking, too late. If you want to know what your heart is full of, listen to what you are saying all the time. Yeah. Because the, the mouth can only verbalize what the heart is full of. David was able to say what he said because his heart was full of that. David said in verse 45, look at verse 45. David said to the Philistines, you come out against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the almighty God. He says, this day I will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will cut you down and strike down. David made a bold declaration, not of who he was, but who God was in his life. One of the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees used to criticize Jesus the most about is that he seemed to be very proud in his declarations. He would say, me and my father are one. He would say, I am the light of the world. He said, this guy, who do you think you are? Jesus wasn't saying all that in himself. He was saying about himself what God says about him. I thought God said about you that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I thought God said about you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I thought God said about you, himself took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and by his stripes you are healed. I, sent, I thought God said about you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I thought God said about you, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. 
by Christ Jesus. Say that about you. You're not saying that you are doing it. You are saying that's what God says about me. That's how you slay the giants. Say about you what God says about you. What happens? When you say about you what God says about you, you put your engines on. You activate the law of lift and the law of thrust. Then even if there are things that are supposed to keep you down, you're not going to stay down because you are using another law that is above the law that wants to keep you down. And David courageously declares and finally he runs towards the giant. See, faith takes an act. 1 Timothy 6, 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Jesus told us we've got to speak to our mountain, not about our mountain. We've got to confront the things that we are afraid of. For God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of a sound mind. David was so full of God's word that he ran towards what people were running away from. Oh my goodness, are we trying to say that maybe God's going to grant you the grace in your family for something to change in your family because you are going to be a doer of the word of God? Are you telling me that whatever they were afraid of when now you are going to go to it? How even if everybody was afraid of it? But that's because you are using laws that supersede the law of spiritual gravity. Take those courageous steps in faith. What is it that you have been trusting God for concerning your life? And you've been afraid to take steps towards. Remember when you take those steps, God has promised that I will be with you. If God's word supports what you're doing, if the spirit of God confirms in your heart that it is God's will for your life, learn to do that. And in conclusion, after David killed Goliath, he gave all the glory to God who deserves it. But after all is said and done, we shouldn't stand there and say, look how great I am. After all is said and done, we should remember, if it wasn't for God on my side. I said, if it wasn't God on my side. You know, we used to sing a song years ago, when I remember what the Lord has done, I will you know the song? When I remember what the Lord has done, I will never anymore. You just look at them and you say, No, 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 no. No, I will never anymore. They tell you to stop praying. You just say to them, no, no, no. Oh, yes. I will. 
It's not because of our own strength. It's because of what God has done. See, when God has brought you and has done things in your life, you've got to remember that he's the one who deserves all the glory and all the honor. Because when we use these principles, we are able in the midst of everything that surrounds us and everything that says we cannot be airborne. Spiritually speaking, we can be airborne. Jesus said, even if you are in this world, you are not of this world. Even if we're in this world, we are using the laws of another world and we can be able to achieve what God says we can achieve. The Bible says in this world, we've got to live as children of light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Even if our world is crooked and perverse, we can live as children of light right in the midst of it. And when it's all done, we don't apologize giving God all the glory and all the honor that you deserve. I tell you, that's what praise is about. That's what worship is about. When I say, Lord, if it wasn't because of you, I wouldn't be here today. And that's why we worship him unashamedly, unreservedly. Oh my goodness, this afternoon when we will be standing, we will remember how far God has brought us. We will remember how we were 34 people in a classroom. And when we stand there, we will remember it's all because of him. Oh, not because of us. And unashamedly, we will raise our hands. We'll praise him and thank him. No shame. We don't need to apologize. We tell him. We tell him with all our hearts. You deserve the glory. That's what we tell him. And the Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we bless your That's right. You deserve the glory. And the
And you, you, you stand there and you stand against the giant and you say I'm not coming against you in my own strength but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts I'm going to bring you down in the name of Jesus tell the Lord one more time as we worship him his word of the praise tell him you are great sing it again you are great you do miracles so Raise your hands and just thank him for his goodness in your life. Yes, Thank you for the things he's done in your life. The victories that he has brought you through. Thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him. Thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him. God is not because of our strength. It's not because of our own intelligence and our own wisdom. When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come
Longing just to bring something that's of worth.
Take a few more minutes and just thank him for the things he's done for you. Oh, 